You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Many people experience varying degrees of what we all call a stalker within their lives, and sadly, situations like the one we're going to discuss today occur more often within the lives of young women. Those women, like this case, become the object of affection for a man who has been rejected or fears rejection, and so, instead, that person becomes a stalker possibly believing in their warped mind that they can force the object of their affection to fall for them because of some combination of sick perseverance and fear. Many times we joke with the word stalker, but the reality is that these types of situations can get scary and even deadly very quickly. This week, we're going to talk about a hard-working mom who was also a devout Christian and who unfortunately suffered the worst fate possible, believably at the hands of a stalker. Unfortunately, though, to this day, we don't know for sure what happened to her or who did it. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 84 of Gone But Never Forgotten. Stalkers should never be taken lightly. The Dorothy Scott murder. and welcome back to another episode of Gone But Never Forgotten. The last three episodes that covered the life, crimes, and death of John Wayne Gacy were emotionally taxing, for sure. Talking about murder and rape and all kinds of dark topics is never easy, but I found episodes covering the lives of 33 murder victims to be especially taxing. This week, we're going to talk about less murder, but murder nonetheless. And sadly, this week, we are talking about a case of a woman who lost her life and whose murder has still not been solved. Dorothy Jane Scott was a single mom who was born on April 23rd of 1948, and she was living in Stanton, California with her aunt and her four-year-old son, Sean. She was working as a secretary at two stores that were owned by the same person in Anaheim. One store was the Swingers Psych Shop, which was a store that sold psychedelic things such as lava lamps and love beads, and the other was Custom John's Head Shop. A head shop is a retail store that specializes in the sale of cannabis 
and tobacco paraphernalia and things related to cannabis culture. Even though she was working in two very interesting places, friends and co-workers said that Dorothy did not go out very much and actually preferred to stay at home with her family because she was a devout Christian and she did not partake in drinking or drugs of any kind. When Dorothy was at work, her parents, who lived in Anaheim, would look after Sean because Sean's father did not live nearby and seemingly was not in the picture. Her family said that they believed that Dorothy did date from time to time, but said that she did not have anything resembling a long-term relationship going on within her life. As you can see from the description, it seems to me that Dorothy was simply trying to live a quiet life surrounded by family while she worked hard to give Sean a good life and give him everything that he needed. Her pastimes seemed to simply be church and family from all accounts of her life. At some point in early 1980, though, something started to happen in Dorothy's life that was not a part of her quiet and reserved plan. Dorothy started to receive phone calls at both of her jobs that were increasingly disturbing and distressing. Those calls were coming from a man who was very clearly stalking Dorothy for one reason or another. When he called her at work, he would tell her details about her day. He would tell her where she had gone, what she did, and who she saw with great detail, covering nearly everything that she was doing in her day-to-day -day routine even when it deviated from the norm. He would even tell her everyone that she spoke with, including strangers that came into her store. Obviously, most concerning to Dorothy was the fact that he was also following her when she was with her young son. The caller would at times tell her that he was in love with her and wanted to be a part of her life and her day-to-day, -day, but at other times he would get furious with her. He would yell at her, and he would even tell her that he was going to kill her. One time in particular, he told her that he was going to chop her up into little pieces so that nobody would ever find her or know what happened. One time in particular, he told Dorothy to come outside of her work because he had something for her, likely thinking that maybe she would find out who was behind the calls and the stalking, or at the very least get a clue in that regard, Dorothy went outside and what she found was a dead and wilted rose on the windshield of her car. One can only imagine how the stalking alone could be disconcerting, but then to know that she was having her life threatened and that the stalker had been close enough and brave enough to leave something on her car, that had to be terrifying. Dorothy realized that she should do something to protect herself and even considered buying a gun, but because of her beliefs, she decided instead to take karate lessons in case she ever needed to defend herself. I'm certainly not someone that is a gun advocate, but if I was in her shoes, I may have to go against my beliefs. 
This man was clearly all in on her and he was not afraid to be outside of her work while she was there. Dorothy would tell people that she believed that the voice on the other end of the line was familiar to her, but she was ultimately not sure who was making the calls. The calls came in on a nearly daily basis, and it was worrying to the extent that police actually installed a very early version of a voice recorder at her home. On May 28th of 1980, Dorothy would drop her son off at her parents' home as usual so that she could attend a staff meeting. While she was at the meeting, she noticed that one of her co-workers, Conrad Bostron, had a raised lump on his hand, and she noticed that he also looked very sick. Dorothy believed that the lump may be a spider bite, so she convinced Conrad to let her take him to the hospital. In the end, Dorothy, Conrad, and another co-worker, Pam Head, would all go to the hospital together. The three left in Dorothy's white 1973 Toyota station wagon to go to the UCI Medical Center. The three would make a quick stop at Dorothy's parents' house to let them know that she was going to be late picking up her son because of the trip to the hospital. The three would make it to the hospital, and Conrad was actually treated for a bite from the deadly Black Widow spider. The three would wait at the hospital until Conrad was released, which was at roughly 11 p.m. After the three left the hospital together, Pam and Conrad would go to the hospital pharmacy to retrieve Conrad's prescription, and Dorothy headed to the parking lot to get her car because she didn't want to make Conrad walk too far in the state that he was in. Dorothy, though, never returned to pick up Pam, or Conrad. Conrad and Pam would go back to the entrance of the hospital where they were supposed to meet up with Dorothy, and when she didn't arrive, they walked over to the parking lot where they knew that the car was parked, thinking that they may find Dorothy having some kind of trouble. As they made their way over, though, they saw Dorothy's car driving very quickly towards them, with the high beams on so that they could not see inside of the car. The car did not stop or even slow down for them, and instead, the car peeled out onto the road and drove off. For a couple of hours, Conrad and Pam stayed at the hospital, thinking that perhaps there was some kind of emergency at her parents' home or related to her son, and that was why she had rushed off in such a hurry. They did, however, contact hospital security and the security felt that there was no reason to be concerned. Eventually, they called Dorothy's parents, though, and they said that they had not heard from or seen Dorothy either. At that point, Dorothy would be reported as missing. Unfortunately, it would not take long for things to go from mysterious to ominous. At around 5 a.m., Dorothy's car would be found burning in an alley that was about 10 miles or 16 kilometers away from the hospital. There was no sign of either Dorothy or her believed kidnapper. In the 1980s, there was not as much information out there to the public in regards to stalking 
or stalkers. Today, we know far more about how those behaviors can escalate into far worse things, but back then, it wasn't looked at in quite the same way. The bit of investigating that happened, including with Dorothy, seemed to lead credence to the fact that the stalker was not an ex-partner or anyone that she had a relationship with. Unfortunately, the taunting and the stalking by whoever had been calling Dorothy did not stop, even after Dorothy disappeared. About a week after Dorothy went missing, her mother, Vera, started to receive calls from what is suspected was the same stalker. The person on the phone asked Vera if she was related to Dorothy Scott, and when she told the caller that she was, the stalker told her that he had her and then hung up the phone. Vera would let the police know, and everyone believed that the call was related to the calls and the threats that Dorothy had been receiving. After a few weeks of searching and trying to get leads, Dorothy's parents, Vera and Jacob, would go to the local newspaper, and they offered up a $25,000 reward for any leads that would help with their daughter's case. The article on Dorothy's disappearance would be published on June 12th of 1980, and on that very same day, the manager of the Santa Ana Register, the newspaper, would receive a call. The man on the phone claimed that he had murdered Dorothy. The caller said, quote, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. Unquote. The caller would then go on to talk about things that had not been public knowledge about the night that she was kidnapped. He mentioned that she was at the hospital because of a co-worker's spider bite. He knew the color of the headscarf that Dorothy was wearing, which she had changed from earlier when she stopped at her parents' home. One strange thing that didn't seem to fit the narrative of the story, though, was the fact that the caller said that Dorothy had actually called him from the hospital. Pam said that Dorothy had not been out of her sight the entire time that they were at the hospital, so that was impossible. The only time that the two women had been separated was when Dorothy left to get the car, and there was no way that she could have called the kidnapper from a landline to a landline, and then he would have had time to get to the hospital mere moments later. Plus, if the killer knew why she was at the hospital, odds are that he was already there. Unfortunately, beyond the calls to her parents and the call to the newspaper, the case went cold. The stalker would still call Dorothy's parents from time to time. Police would eventually tap the phone line, but the stalker never stayed on the phone long enough to trace the call. The scary thing was that it appeared to everyone that was involved in the case that the stalker had now moved on to stalking Dorothy's parents. They believed that because the only time that the stalker would call was when Vera was home alone. One day, though, Dorothy's father, Jacob, would come home early and answer the phone, and that was when the call stopped until after the events of August 6th of 1984. 
On August 6th, a construction worker would discover the remains of a dog and a human side-by-side about 30 feet from Santa Ana Canyon Road on a construction site. Dorothy's skull, pelvis, arm, and two thigh bones were found particularly burnt. The fact that part of her body was burnt did help to give police a timeline for how long the body had been there. Two years earlier, there had been a fire at the location where the body was found, and that told police that the body had been there for at least two years. Sadly, the discovery would give closure to the family, although they obviously still did not know the answers to who, why, or how their daughter had been murdered. Sadly, after a reprieve, just days after Dorothy's body was found, the calls would start again to her parents' home. The caller would constantly ask if Dorothy was home when they called, and the calls again seemed to occur when Vera was home alone. Sadly, Dorothy's parents would both pass away, Jacob in 1994 and Vera in 2002, without knowing what had happened to their daughter or who was to blame. Her son Sean still lives without any knowledge of what happened to his mom when he was a very young boy. In terms of suspects, there sadly really is not that much to go on. As I mentioned, Dorothy did not have a boyfriend, and she spent most of her time with her son and her family when she was not at work or church. The father of Sean was in Missouri at the time of her abduction. Sean Scott did an interview in 2017 where he said that there was a brother of one of Dorothy's co-workers who was reportedly obsessed with Dorothy. The man's name was Mike Butler. Sean would say that investigators did have this man on their radar, but there was never enough evidence to lay charges against him or arrest him. Mike Butler was an unstable man who was known to have lived in the Santiago Mountains and known to have ties to cults within the area. The man, Mike Butler, that Sean mentioned in the interview died in 2014. Stories like this one really hit me in the heart. Obviously, time has changed the way that we look at certain traits that people have and things that people experience. However, stories of people being stalked and harassed to the extent that Dorothy was is right up there for me with stories of people who could not or would not leave abuse and then wind up in a worse situation. If you're someone that's facing any kind of harassment at home, at work, or anywhere that amounts to someone seemingly following your every move or threatening you in any way, You need to get help as soon as you can. Obviously now, with the advent of podcasts like this one, and every other form of media, we know that there are a plethora of times where the actions that the stalker in this story exhibited get worse, and descend into far worse things and far worse crimes. Dorothy seemed, from all accounts, to be an absolutely lovely human being who had her heart and her head in the right place in all aspects of her life. She was literally helping another person on the night that she was abducted 
and that led to her death. I think that this story covers two of the worst things that you can find in true crime. First, the harassment, abduction, and murder of an innocent human being. And second, a case that was not solved, and that means that a man walked, or still walks, on this earth among us after having taken that innocent life. From where I sit, there are things that stand out about this story that make me scratch my head especially about the night that Dorothy was abducted. I understand that stories were not reported as well back in the 1980s as they are now, and that could be a part of it, but the length of time that passed between Dorothy's car racing past her co-workers and her being reported as missing is certainly one of the things that stands out here to me. I also found it interesting that it was widely reported that they didn't know who was driving the car because of high beams that were on. This was either someone who knew what they were doing or some kind of cover-up, and I suppose we will never know which it really was. All that I know is that when I was reading about this case, I had alarm bells going off when I heard about the two people taking a long time to call anyone about Dorothy's situation. It feels like there may have been more going on here than met the eye. What do you think? Do you think that anyone else was a part of this situation and that maybe Dorothy was set up? Do you think that Mike was the person that was behind everything that happened here with Dorothy? I want to close the episode by saying that if you're going through a situation like Dorothy was or anything even remotely similar, please speak up. You are far from alone and there are people who will help you. Especially in this day and age, I'd like to say that people take things like this far more seriously. Please do not suffer in silence and please find help and respite in any way that you can. There is no need for you to be living in fear and with the constant paranoia that someone is watching you or following your every single move. With that, we'll close out another episode of Gone But Never Forgotten. And as always, I hope that this episode found all of you goners well. And I hope that all of you, like me, will continue to endeavor to always be better. See you next week.